0: Underway here on ESPN. Plus, from the nation's capital, I am Sebastian Salazar. And from Los Angeles, he is none other than Hercules Gomez for what is edition number 80 of Football America's Historicos. 80. Let's go. <laughs> How about that? Uh, plenty coming up in episode 80, which of course is available for you via podcast. We got finals set in both Mexico and Major League Soccer. So we'll uh, preview. Both of those finals, but also look back at the semifinals. We got rosters for the United States and Mexico, Herc. We got a couple of international friendlies coming up on December 18th. And we got some hot transfer rumors, both in the National Women's Soccer League and one that has to do with Ricardo Pepe, Herc. And maybe, maybe a move to a Champions League contender. But let's start this show on the coaching carousel, because... On this Monday, that coaching carousel affects not one, but two Americans. Uh, Let's start with Sunday news. RB Leipzig parting ways with Jesse Marsh. Quote, mutually agreed to part ways. We know how you feel about the word uh, mutual in this (laughs) instance. Leipzig 11th right now in the Bundesliga after a 2-1 loss to Union Berlin on Friday. Marsh actually in quarantine after a positive COVID-19 test. So he wasn't even able to be on the sideline in the technical area for his last game in charge. But there you have it, the American last Just four months in charge of RB Leipzig and joining us now for more context, perspective and of course opinion as we always look for here on Football America is none other than Derek Ray, the man who is the voice of the Bundesliga here on ESPN Plus. Derek, first things first, welcome to the show. It's been a long time coming. We are thrilled to have you.
1: I'm thrilled to be here. It's great to be here on a milestone edition, episode 80, to ah. use the German word, since you used the Spanish word earlier.
0: Wow. Well, perfect. I knew we would get a, a perfect German pronunciation, if nothing else, from, a, from Derek Ray on this visit to us here on Football Américas. Derek, let's dive right in. Jesse Marsh, he got just 14 Bundesliga matches in charge of RB Leipzig. Do you think he got a fair shake?
1: Yes, I do. And I say that with a bit of a heavy heart because I really wanted Jesse Marsh to succeed in this very high-profile post in Leipzig. But the fact is, Leipzig have very high standards and they were not expecting a big drop-off and that's what we've seen. When you're 11th in the table, that's simply not good enough for a team like Leipzig with a very strong squad. Most people who analyse the Bundesliga would say, yes, they have lost a few key players, people like Upamecano and Konate and... And then Zabica but it just hasn't been consistent enough and especially away from home he didn't manage an away victory at all and it has emerged and we haven't heard Jesse's side of this but it has emerged from Oliver Mintzlaff who's the CEO of Leipzig and certainly the big man on campus there but Twice in recent weeks, Jesse Marsh actually went to the club bosses and expressed doubt as to whether he was the right man, Hmm. the right fit for the club. Now, of course, there's been a change when Julian Nagasman was there. Philosophically, it did change to more of a possession-based style. But they hired Jesse Marsh to get back to the old power football, if you like. That was his remit. He tried to do that. It didn't work out. Mitzlaff has also implicated the players, saying that they didn't take on board everything that was said to them by Jesse Marsh and, in fact, were not following the match plans. So it has been stressed that it's mutual. It's disappointing, clearly, from a U.S. angle. But for me, I think it's a fair decision in the end.
2: Uh, you know, first off, I'm...
1: Pleased to be here with a linguist like
2: uh, Derek Gray. <laughs> so, excuse me if my pronunciation is not right, because I'm, I, I'm standing worry, next to greatness right now. I'm on the side of greatness. But you mentioned Upamacano, you mentioned Konate, Sabitze, very important players not there. Jesse Marsh is coming with the idea that he's going to implement his style, the RB Leipzig way, the way of old, into this very new team. He's following in the few footsteps of Julian Nagelsmann, one of the most brilliant footballing minds of this generation, which was very much possession based football. To come in with this, heavy metal, power football, as you say, where it's vertical, where it's strong, where it's high-intensity pressure, and all of a sudden the players that you thought you can count on don't have that skill set. They're not made for that. They're of a different cloth, and they don't buy into what you're selling. And then... On top of that, you get thrown into a Champions League group with PSG and Man City of all teams. It's the group of death. It it was a terrible cocktail to begin with. It almost feels, and by what you're saying, Jesse Marsh going up to the sporting director and saying, he's questioning if he was the right man for the job, that he himself didn't feel, that he himself didn't feel like he was being given the proper chance. All those things make me believe like this was not the fair
0: fair shake for uh, Jesse Marsh. Herc, you mentioned when he took over the job that perhaps his passport could play against yeah. him, which is very interesting to me here. I can't believe that this has anything to do with the fact that Jesse Marsh is American. The results here are really off the target. They're 11th. Forget advancing in Champions League. They, they may not qualify for Europa League, Herc. So those are those are significant financial Losses, Correct. potentially, for RB Leipzig. That's that's big. I think that's why Jesse Marsh is is losing his job here. There's a big concern, though, for me, uh, if you're Jesse Marsh, or if you're looking at it from that perspective, guys, and that is, you know, his strengths. sure, you're coming in off uh, and replacing Julian Nagelsmann. Maybe your tactics aren't going to be at that level. But what we've always been told about Jesse Marsh is, is he's about the human beings. He can get guys to buy in. And it sounds like, Derek, a lot of what we're hearing here is that the players at Leipzig didn't buy into Jesse Marsh. That would be the biggest concern here for me if I was looking at it from that perspective. You agree?
1: Yeah, but I find it very puzzling because at the start, I heard interviews from... People like Willy Orban, people like Emil Forsberg, and they all spoke glowingly of Jesse, the human being. And of course they knew him because he'd been Ralf Rangnick's assistant in Leipzig before, so this wasn't brand new territory. But then it just seemed to change, the mood music seemed to change, and... It's hard to explain that. And actually, those were the words that he used. It's hard to explain why we can't get things together here. You know, three defeats in a row. Leipzig had never suffered that before in their albeit short Bundesliga history. So, for whatever reason, it just wasn't happening at the end. And as I said, it was inconsistent. There were some good patches of play. Even on the Champions League, there were some good spells, but there were very few complete 90-minute performances. And I I totally accept what Herr said earlier on you know a hard act to follow in Julian Nagelsmann absolutely and so from that point of view maybe the only way was down but let's not forget there was a lot of excitement and I heard it from American fans when Mm -hmm. he got that job I even had people saying you know he's going to do better than Nagelsmann he's such a good coach (laughs) he could even win the Bundesliga now we know that's very difficult when your your main opposition would be Bayern and perhaps Borussia Dortmund but yeah it's time to take stock it didn't work out Move on. Yeah, I think there is a good case to be made
0: for that he didn't get the the most fair shot, right? 14 games, Seb. I mean, we're talking about 14
2: games, a difficult Champions League group. When you're talking about players not buying Mm. in, if I'm thinking about it from a player's perspective, this isn't what I'm built for. I'm not built to run. I'm not built for this intensity, for this battle. I'm possession. I'm technical. I'm of a tactical mind. It's different. Of course, there might be a player revolt, but that goes back to who's in charge. Who was the sporting director when he came in? What type of support system
0: did he have? And all those Mm. things. 14 games. Yeah, if I'm looking for excuses, I'm seeing he lost his three best players before the season, two of them to a rival, and one of them, his captain, Sabitzer, on what, August 30th? I mean, that, that is not an ideal time to lose a player of that status. That, that would certainly be a set-up-to-fail situation. So um, there you go, Jesse Marsh lasts just four months in charge of RB Leipzig. Derek, uh, what do you think is next for Jesse Marsh? Do you think his next job will be on this side of the Atlantic or that side of the Atlantic?
1: You know, it's hard to say. I was talking to a couple of colleagues today and they were saying, yeah, he's still going to be in the conversation with a few clubs in Europe because he did build up some credit based on what he, done, what he did in Salzburg. But, of course, the thing is, Salzburg is set up to succeed. It's very hard to fail when you're in charge of Salzburg. Now, he played eye-catching football, no doubt about it. But just about every coach in there uses Salzburg now as a stepping stone to the Bundesliga and his successor, Matthias Yesle, is already being spoken about as somebody who will probably see in the German Bundesliga next season. If I were him, and he certainly doesn't want to listen to my advice, but if I were him, I would probably sit tight. I would take some time off, take a few months off, because let's not forget he's been hard at it during a pandemic. I can only imagine what that's like for a football coach away from home. I don't know what the family feeling is about staying in Europe, but I would probably sit tight for a few months and see what happens, because things can change in this game as we know very quickly, and if you do just put a bit of time between your departure and your next job, it can work out for you. He'll obviously be back as a coach somewhere. It's a matter of where, and it's a matter of where he wants to be. Yeah, I think the question that Sebi's getting to, because I
2: know how his little morbid mind works, is if he's <laughs> going to get... Uh- A chance of this caliber again and and the the reality is probably not in the immediate future Mm. but I agree with Derek Ray I agree with take some time off football is very forgiving in a few months this boils over there'll be a new opportunity coming about and maybe he's not the coach to manage ego to manage a big club like that but it doesn't mean he can't be a very good coach because that style can do a lot for a team that maybe is on a budget maybe doesn't know how to spend or doesn't can't or can't spend I should say maybe needs to stretch it a little Jesse is a very good coach Sebastian brought up the mentality brought up the players coach of the side
0: of things there's still a place for him in europe yeah i wonder though what that place would be right head coach or assistant and if it's an assistant job maybe that opens up a whole nother conversation about whether that's a, a step back or a step forward uh, in his career speaking of assistants we had some very early morning breaking news concerning assistance from our good friend Taylor Twelman. I think this was like 7.15 a.m. Eastern time. Manchester United (laughs) going to bring in Chris Armis, reportedly the uh, ex-New York Red Bull and TFC coach, as part of Ralph Ragnick's staff. Uh, Of course, the Red Bull connection there, obvious. Ragnick was Red Bull's head of global football projects in 2019. That was the year after Chris Armis and the New York Red Bulls won the Supporter Shield in Major League Soccer. Let's do a quick rendition here of something nothing or everything Uh, Derek how big a deal is this uh, and how big a deal is that Red Bull connection specifically uh, in all of this
1: That connection is very important. It tells you a lot about Ralf Rangnick and who he wants to bring on board. And obviously, Chris Armas has those credentials as well. I have not been in conversation with Chris for a long time, but I remember him as a player in the early days in MLS. And he was always somebody really interesting to talk tactics with. So, um, yeah, he's somebody who Rangnick knows. And that's the kind of thing that you will see him do, and he will not be afraid of what you might call a left field appointment, you know, an appointment that another coach or manager might not make, so I think it's important, and I think if you're going after the American angle, since this is Football Americas, can I say as a Scot, I always find this a little bit um, curious, but at the same time, I sort of admire it, I admire how Americans are always trying to promote their own and are always cheering for their own Hmm. when it comes to, to my... We don't really do that. Um, the idea that we would celebrate an appointment um, in terms of somebody joining a backroom staff, even at a club like Manchester United, it might be a little footnote in the news. you know. Um, but again, that's maybe a reflection of a, an established football country, not a very successful one, I would have to say, but an established one, and a country that's still trying to you know, make its way from the point of view of being respected around the world. So I completely see that. And, yeah, Americans should absolutely say... Yeah, why not? Chris Armas, more power to you. Remind me where Sir Alex Ferguson is from, Derek Ray. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, he's a, sadly he's from Glasgow. I'm from Aberdeen, but he did manage Aberdeen, my hometown yeah. club. So, yeah, well, so yeah. when
2: you when you've got that type of manager waving the flag for a country, it's very easy to say, "What are you guys getting excited about?" But I, I agree with you. And listen, this is U.S. soccer Twitter. It's America Twitter. It's CONCACAF in general. How they, the excitement
0: goes. Well yeah. let's not downplay this. Let's not downplay no, this. this, this might be I'm the gonna, this, this, this is might United. be the highest profile position a uh, U.S. manager's ever had. I was just sorry I say that again. This may be the highest profile position a U.S. manager has ever had. And you're out here downplaying it.
2: Mmm... Could be. I'm not saying it's not. It's still an assistant coach in an interim basis, but yes, and it's a domino effect, so there is something. Listen, anytime there is a coach, assistant coach, whatever the uh, fact may be, and whatever country he's from, whatever footballing culture he's from, you can be sure those eyeballs will still be there. He will keep tabs on what's going on in CONCACAF, and maybe that's a door opening for Manchester United, whether that's player development whether that's first team whether that's coaching or scouting, it can benefit the region. That said, I think the bigger question here is... Chris Armis, who had a relatively tough go at Toronto FC, is all of a sudden gonna be the number two or part of the coaching staff at Manchester United. Maybe he's better as a two. That could be a reality. He's just a better as a two. And as a head coach, you want players, or sorry, coaches around you that you trust, that you know you can implement your style. And that could buy into your philosophy and can help you spread that message. This is what maybe Chris Armis can do. It doesn't mean he's failing up, because I've been seeing a lot of that online lately. Like, you can fail up. Chris Armas had a rough go at it in New York. He had a rough go at it at Toronto. And that's all it may be. He was a head
0: coach there. Maybe as a two, he's better. Derek, to your point about uh, excitement over this, I want to read you guys a, a sub-headline here from the Irish Times because not everybody's as excited as Chris Armis uh, about Chris Armis as maybe we are here on Football Américas. Here it is. Meet Chris Armis, Man United's new coach who's never worked in Europe and had horror Toronto reign, but backed by Ragnick. So maybe the press there does need to warm up a little bit to Chris Armis. There is some, some good here, though, for him, and that is, one, this sets up really, really nicely for his, for his next job. And it reflects very well on him because Ralph Ragnick is not bringing in a whole staff here. He's only bringing in, I think, one, two, maybe three guys to complement the Manchester United staff that was left behind or what's left of it from the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer era. So uh, it's not like there were ten positions here. There was only a couple, and Chris Armis got one of them. Uh, that says something. Even if we only had one position to give out, Herc, I know that we would have that invite go to Derek Ray after this appearance on <laughs> Football Américas. Derek, thank you so much for the time. Great to have you with us, and I really hope we do it again soon.
1: Anytime, guys, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks for the invitation. Take care, Derek.
3: This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8Save. That's the number 8 SAVE. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be.
1: Philadelphia and New York City lock horns in the Eastern Conference Final. The union needed penalties to see out Nashville in the last round. And Taylor, what a week, what a four days
3: for the Philadelphia Union. They will be missing 11 players today, nine of those key. But it's also a reminder where we are because Major League Soccer isn't the only league in this country that has had its struggles. You've seen the NHL, you've seen the NBA and the NFL to a certain extent be reminded of what COVID can do to a season. Uh, I said it to our group all week. Uh, sometimes the most dangerous thing is a, a group of men or women with, with nothing to lose lose them.
0: Well, Herc, it was the story of the weekend in Major League Soccer. Eleven Philadelphia Union players ruled out of Sunday's Eastern Conference final against New York City FC over COVID-19 protocols. That forced six changes to the team that beat Nashville in the conference semifinals. Despite that, Philly actually grabbed the lead. How about that? A hey, quick
2: lead, but that's all it was, a very quick lead. Bald moving on the keeper. I get it, but this is a save. You have to parry wide. You can't force that in the middle. Keeps it alive, Maxi Morales levels it up.
0: Yep, Philly scored in the 63rd. The New York Uh-oh. City response Uh-oh. came in the 65th. This in the 88, Talis Magno with the finish. What happened to Olivier Ibiza, huh?
2: Oh, Olivier, Olivier, Olivier! Do not let that ball bounce. Attack that ball.
0: Oh, wrong side of the defender, and that's a dagger. I had my book at parlay on the line right there. I had the draw and the under two and a half. It was hitting with just minutes to go until uh, that mistake, which leads to the goal from New York City FC and has them in their first ever MLS Cup seven years into their existence. By the way, Herc, they did it without Tati Castellanos, of course, serving a suspension for a red card in the prior round. Let's get down to the brass tacks of this game. Should MLS have suspended or at least postponed this match due to all of the missing players for the Philadelphia Union?
2: I get the sentiment, right? It's a bit unfair. We're in a pandemic. It's not the union's fault that they got COVID or that there was certain health uh, and rules and regulations against the protocols and they had to... Not play players. so They couldn't align the players that they wanted to, their starters. I mean, they were leaving I believe, six changes, you said, Seb. That, mm-hmm. that's, that's incredible. Eleven different players uh, couldn't participate in this game, including Andre Blake, arguably the best goalkeeper in yeah. all of CONCACAF, and your captain, Alejandro Badoya. It's a tough pill to swallow. But there are certain rules and regulations that are in place in Major League Soccer and across all sports that determine what can happen and what can't happen for a game to be suspended, for a game to be rescheduled. These are rules for everybody, not just the Philadelphia Union. It didn't come to it to implement those rules. It didn't come to to it where they had to reschedule it. So I, I don't see why one team would get punished over another. I understand how hard done the philly fans could feel how hard done jim Curtin can feel but this happens in all sports we saw it in the montage taylor was talking about it happening in nhl we've seen it happen in in uh, baseball we've seen it happen in in seria you know with soccer so it happens i feel bad for them but it is what it is in a
0: pandemic it sounds like the league didn't really even consider moving the game. As soon as Philadelphia kind of reported the situation that was going on, the response from the league was no plans to postpone, right from jump. So they were very clear about it. I wonder, Herc, uh, and you're, you're a big NBA fan out there with the Lakers, there was kind of an asterisk over their, over their bubble title, right? Does this no, maybe asterisk. from a New York not City perspective? No, okay. I mean, not in LA. Um, is there an asterisk here for what New York City has done based on the team they faced in, in Philadelphia? I,
2: there's, I wouldn't say an asterisk, but there's been a dark cloud over New York City FC for quite some time oh it's a baseball field that's why Mm. that's why they get so much out of their field that's why they get so much out of their play at home oh this and that oh that listen they went on the road and beat New England. They went on the road and beat Philly. A very good Philly club. I don't care who was playing. That was still a very good Philadelphia Union team without their leading goal scorer. Uh, say what you will, there are no asterisks in sports. People are only going to remember the winners. Unfortunately for Philly, very few when this is all said and done if you, if the New York City FC team lift the trophy are going to remember what had
0: happened this day uh, when this story is told later on or decades from now. All right, well. There's always something to pick at from the post-game press conference. Let's listen in to what Jim Curtin have to say after the match. Ah, no, let's not listen in. We've got got it here uh, for you. Right then, uh, this is what he had to say. Quote, I'm getting angry because I keep hearing them cheering over here. We're close to the New York City oil money locker room. It's just so hard. It hurts, man. Uh, Herc, are you cool with this from Jim Curtin? Although It's supposed to be are you cool with it, really? Oh, it should be shots fired, yeah. Shots fired here from from Mr. Curtin.
2: It's shots fired. I understand the frustration. Trust me. Jim Curtin Mm -hmm. has every reason to feel frustrated. It's not his fault that we're in a pandemic and something like this happened and his team was obviously hurt by it. Uh, But – Oil money, New York City FC, (laughs) they're like outside the top five of of MLS spending clubs. I mean, it's $15.8 million total team salary. Philly's at 10.4. But it's not New York City's fault. It's not New York City football team's fault that Philly refuses to spend, that they would rather develop than spend, which is pretty much a tactic that teams that want to be cheap and don't want to spend use. It's not their fault. it is what it is. I feel bad for the Philly Union. I feel bad for Jim Curtin because he's a quality coach. And I feel bad that he had to listen to another club celebrate in his own house. But oil money in yeah. Major League Soccer with the salary cap? Mm. yeah
0: Oil money sounds like uh, sour grapes to me. You're right to point out the difference between the expenditure, at least according to the latest numbers released by the MLS Players Union. Just $5 million. Uh, $5 million more spent by New York City FC on this year's salary budget. So uh, it's not that great a difference. What is worth noting... Is that Philly's 25th in terms of spending in out of 27 teams in MLS? And I wonder, Herc, if this isn't so much a shot from Jim Curtin at New York City FC, maybe it's at Philly and maybe it's beyond a shot at Philly, a sign of frustration. Maybe Jim Curtin is saying, hey, I want to go to a place, if Philly's not gonna give me more assets. I want to go to a place that will. Because he's been linked to other places that do spend more. You know, Say, I'm thinking FC Cincinnati's Cincinnati is at the top of that and list.
2: And his good friend Chris Albright, who's a sporting director at Philadelphia Union, is now the new GM mm-hmm. there. It is a possibility. And if there's one thing Cincinnati does, is they spend money. They might not do it <laughs> wisely, but they spent a ton of money since they've been in Major League Soccer. And listen, something to be said about getting the most out of a team that doesn't spend, but if you're Jim Curtin, you want the possibility of spending money or at least i want to see what jim current can do because it's very easy to manage players that are not on the higher higher end of a of a salary cap or on a higher end of a a salary spectrum but when you have to manage those egos those superstars those those high-priced players that's when you
0: get to see how good a manager you really are new york city then your eastern conference champions Herc, what about out in the Western Conference, we had Portland and Real Salt Lake. Uh, this one played on Saturday. Oh God! Portland got oh off to no. a uh, a good early start, didn't a- they? A- Ron. Felipe Mora in a- the uh, fifth
2: a- Ron minute. Oh, what are you doing here? Like he doesn't mean to. I understand, but don't stab at it with the outside of your right foot. Use your left foot. Don't go back in the middle. Felipe Mora with one of the
0: easiest finishes he will ever have. RSL kind of had that uh, that pixie dust going for them didn't they earlier in the playoffs. Oh, that's what seemed to uh, to start to wear out. One in shot this on match. target for of Steve, Steve Clark. It. Steve Clark is like Mr. Big Save. huh? He's had a great postseason. He has had a good postseason. Let's hope it keeps going for him. Sixty first minutes. And here comes the second for Portland. Santiago Moreno on the bad bounce for David Ochoa. He, Santiago Moreno was massive this game. This is unfortunate for uh,
2: David Ochoa. I mean, massive strike, ridiculous strike. Comes off the post, off his back, and in.
0: That's just unlucky. What are you gonna do if you're a goalkeeper? That's got to be like the worst case scenario if you're a goalie. Uh, Aaron Herrera got sent off late for RSL. Portland ends up winning two nothing. And how about that? They do it without Sebastian Blanco, who they managed in to save. Esprilla. On the bench, and know that on Aspria, who was suspended as well. So a big win there for the Portland uh, Timbers, who will be at home. Herc for MLS Cup, are they your not favorite? Clear favorite over New York City FC. So I was thinking about this. I mean,
2: favorites. Yeah, they're the favorites. They're playing mm. at home. You just mentioned Sebastian Blanco, who's easily their best player, who came back from injury and has been massive for them. Uh, he's back he will certainly be healthy enough to participate in this game. Daidon Asprey, who was suspended, who had a banner year this year, a career year for the Portland Timbers, they have been waiting for that bomba to go off. It finally went off. He was ridiculous all year. He's going to be available. You're playing on that turf. They obviously have an edge there. In front of that, in front of those fans, amazing fans at Providence Park, how could they not be favorites? But clear favorites? No, 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 no. You,
0: you There can't. it is. There's you can't. your Seattle Wave you coming call through. Them clear there's your no no pro Seattle Sounders ways.
2: heart. Are you telling me? that you are underestimating the New York City Football Club that much, Mm-mm. they went into New England, that historic New England team, with all those historic players, with those teams, those players right there, Matt Turner, MLS Goalkeeper of the Year, Carlos Hill, who will be named MVP of the Year. You had Busca, who had a banner year. You had Gustavo Bo with a ridiculous year. You had, uh, you had uh, Tejan Buchanan, who was best 11. I mean, they had a ridiculous team with, by the way, coached by Bruce Arena, the all-time best coach in Major League Soccer history, and they beat them in their house. And then they go to Philly, beat them on the road. And now they have Tati Castellanos back, and you're gonna tell me that Portland are clear favorites? Is that what you're trying to say?
0: Yeah. Uh I'm not saying, yeah, I think Portland are clear favorites here. Yeah. At <laughs> home, New York City growing across country. Yeah, I think they're clear favorites. You know who disagrees with us? Uh the bookies right mm. now. They've got New York City. As the favorite, I got Portland at plus 180, the draw at plus 230, and New York City at plus 165. That's what I saw today. So um, New York City, then, a less of a payout than Portland. Somebody, somebody might want to put some money on the Timbers. I'm just saying That's That sounds like a very good value. Speaking of good value, Herc, let's give the folks a good value here with our next edition. Of Book It. Her, uh, you will not be here Thursday, is that correct, for our final show before MLS Cup? So we got to get our picks correct. in here. You Thank are the aforementioned on this show, Principe of the Prop Bet. By the way, did your Demir Krylak prop bet hit in the Western Ching, Conference Final?
2: Ching. Uh, by the way, I'm surprised that our production team didn't put up the VAR of me preseason, pre-MLS start of the season, say my pick for MLS Cup winner. Oh, my
0: are the Portland Look the, Timbers? <laughs> Look at the revisionist history here on this show. Hercules Gomez now pro Portland Timbers. No. Now I think there's a clip that's circulating Twitter that might right. uh, might prove otherwise. Who was on on the Timber side when it truly counted? Uh, all right, so give us your prop bet here. Uh, what do you got? <laughs> Negative 150, both teams to score. It's just smart money. They
2: say styles make fights, okay? It's true in fighting and boxing, MMA. It's also true in football and soccer. You look at a team like the Portland Timbers who feel very, very comfortable without the ball, okay? Mm. Against Salt Lake, they had more possession for the first time in any game since September. Against the Vancouver Whitecaps, 51% that game September 10th. Okay, that was in September. They went on to have the best record in Major League Soccer since the All-Star break. They feel very good without the ball. Guess what New York City likes to have? The ball. They create tons of opportunities with the ball. So New York City will have it. Portland will wait. All their stars are back. They will counter. They can score. New York City can score also when they have that ball. I see a very open game. I see a high score. I see at the end of this, both teams scoring. It just seems like easy easy money. You know, negative 150. I'll take that.
0: Both teams to score. Open game. This is a, a full-on advertisement for uh, our MLS Cup coverage over the weekend in Portland. What about the match itself, Herc? Who are you picking?
2: Well, we mentioned Portland being the favorite. I'm going to stick with Portland being the favorite. Plus 180. That's Those are good odds for me. And especially for a team that's playing at home. A, a team that's playing on turf. That it's so difficult the way to play how against. much does it hurt? How much does it hurt with
0: your Sounders ways to what pick Portland? What are you Portland? talking
2: about? I pump up Cascadia all I can. Babe, you manage, Do you realize what? Portland and Seattle have managed to do. They've managed to dominate Major League Soccer for the better part of a decade. Nobody comes close to Seattle and Portland. Nobody can do what they have done. It's almost 10 years of dominance, Sebi. I've never strayed away from my love for Portland, For Merritt Paulson, un buen amigo de la casa. He's a friend of Football America's. Playing at home in front of those people. In those stands, Mm -hmm. on that turf, that very difficult turf, I don't care what anybody says, turf is dreadful. They've got a clear advantage. They've got the playmakers who do well there. And at home versus New York City FC, a very open game.
0: I like those chances. All right, let's get it down on paper. Give me a score prediction. What do you see on Saturday? 3-2. 3-2. Take the over, folks. Take the over. Should be an amazing game if Hercules is right between the Portland Timbers and New York City FC. It is MLS Cup 2021, and you can watch it Saturday, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on ABC and streaming live on the ESPN app. We got our final in MLS. What about down in Liga MX, the final set there as well. Let's start with the uh, first of the two semifinals, Tigres and León. Tigres winning Uh Uh 2-1 in the first leg with a couple late goals. The second leg Saturday at León and León got off to a fast start, Angel Mena in the eighth minute. You can't lose the ball there like that, you give Angel Mena, I don't care if it is on his right foot. His favorite left foot is the good one. The right foot is just as good as you can see there. 16th minute, Tigres strike back through, of all people, Diego Reyes. Diego Reyes!
2: He's not a nine, he's a center back, but look at this finish, Sebby. It's not an easy
0: finish. He just made it look that way. So 1-1 one, one there on the quarter-hour mark. Things getting interesting late. 79th minute, Leon so close. Yeah, it just felt like it was coming, right? They kept mounting the pressure. You could just feel it. So one one here, which means Leon still needs a goal. Now El Guzman doing his most to keep it out, and you almost have to feel bad after you do all that. Uh, that then eventually the goal would fall for Leon in the 85th minute. How about that? And, and of all people, who's it going to fall to? Angel
2: Mena. Look at this little redirect here, John Meneses. This gets deflected. I don't even know it comes
0: deflected, but it's an alley oop. Dunk it on him, and then uh oh, temper's will player. Yep, we got the, uh, the late scuffle there, which drew a couple reds. Uh, Osvaldo Rodriguez sent off. Luis Quinones uh, sent off oh, as well. Carlos, oh, Finished 3 uh, 3 on aggregate, but Leon advances thanks to the tiebreaker, which of course is the position in the table. Leon third, Tigres fourth. So not just one spot between them, only one point between them, uh, and that the difference between these two. So, Herc, ¿qué pasó with your beloved Tigres? Did, did Tigres lose this, or did Leon win it? Which, which statement is more truth? Tigres blew
2: it. That's just more of the truth. I mean, we're sitting here and we're telling everybody how good Miguel Herrera is and how different he is from Tuca Ferretti and how everybody thinks Tuca Ferretti was this defensive tactician and the Tuca Camioni parked the bus when it came to these important moments and Miguel Miguel Herrera is so proactive and he's so attacking oriented. Look how look how good this team is. Look how good on the eye they are. The eye test they pass it. So offensive. Minute 46, at halftime, he makes a sub. Diente Lopez comes out. Your leading goal scorer in the season comes out, okay? Minute 63, an attacking right back in Chaka Rodriguez comes out, okay? And also, you're going to get take Quiñones out minute 63, okay? That's another forward right there, another forward player. Gignac then comes out. Then it's Vigón coming out. All your attacking players, all your players that you use in a way to be more dangerous offensively come out. A- and he throws his team under the bus, Miguel Herrera, and he says, I never told them to sit back and defend. Hmm. They did it on their own. What do you think you're doing by the messages you are sending at halftime? Minute 63, minute 70, minute 80. What you're telling them subliminally is, back up. We gotta defend this result. Back up, absorb. That's what you're saying. And all of a sudden, when this goal comes in, no Gignog, hmm. no Diente. You don't have Quiñones there who's fast. You don't have these players who can hurt you on the dribble, who get you 1v1. You have
0: no form of attack going on. And you're surprised, they blew it. Yeah, Gignac comes off in the 75th minute. And at that time, you know, you're okay, you're, you're protecting a lead. But when Mena scores 10 minutes later, to, to see on the bench the visual of, of Gignac there and not able to do anything about it, uh, you just have to ask. Also, by the way, uh, he, he's not used Leo Fernandez. He's not used Florian Tavan. I mean, yeah. those, are, those are attacking pieces that you would think uh, in a situation like this you could look at. Look, the game changes very, very late, and what Miguel Herrera needs changes very, very late. So it's, it's easy to criticize him here. One thing I think is interesting, Hurt, is this idea that Miguel Herrera plays attacking uh, progressive football. Um, maybe early on in his time with America, but correct me if I'm wrong, towards the end of his time with America... Miguel Herrera was becoming a very pragmatic coach. Maybe, oh. maybe not to the level of Tuca oh. Ferretti. But I would he's... say worse. His leading right? goal
2: scorers were center backs. There was one season at America so where why are we it was surprised that Miguel Herrera leading doing
0: this? Why are we so surprised I'm not that, supr- I'm not that this surprised. is how am not surprised. I'm surprised plays.
2: at those who say that he's the opposite. And I'm surprised... That he's got all this arsenal. You just mentioned Tovan and Leo Fernandez on the bench. Tuca Ferretti would get crucified for leaving Mm, on the bench. That's all we would hear. Miguel Herrera goes and everybody's like, successful season. Look at Miguel Herrera. Look what he's done with this team. He's managed to change the face of this team. No, he hasn't. You managed to... Literally let this slip from your fingers, slip from your
0: hands. So some of the blame certainly here then on Pio Herrera, but of course the the Tigres players will have some of the blame uh, as well. I wonder how much of that blame will end up on the very capable shoulders of André Pierre Gignac, specifically Herc, uh, over this incident late in the match where he really is, is basically going berserk at a league-appointed doctor uh, who is there very specifically to check on head injuries. Uh, we love Gignac, the competitor, but has he crossed the line here? Okay, a little context here, okay?
2: Purrata, they're telling him to go out. They're defending a corner kick right now. And the thing is, if you look at the play right after this, he immediately came on. Right, right. So, so Gignac is, is, is more than anything not saying, hey, I don't trust the third-party physician, third-party doctor, the independent doctor, and the protocol. He's saying, I want this player on to defend. You've already cleared him to come back on. Let him come back on now.
0: Yeah, it's not a good look, though. I mean, any time you get around head injuries, you can't have a player intimidating an official like this, Herc. Right? That, that's that's a, a dangerous precedent to set. And I'd be interested to see what what the Mexican League does here because uh, players can have a lot of influence uh, over officials and then forget about what they could do over a doctor like that. Now, this is the other side. Andre Pierginiak getting the uh, abusive treatment here on his way off the field against Leon. Leon, of course, you know, we got the final coming up. You see behavior like this. Do you think there should be a, a penalty against Leon and one that would maybe then be factored in for the final Well, it should because if you hear the audio of this
2: video it's very unfortunate uh it's the homophobic homophobic excuse me again uh there are things being thrown out the field onto this player and you can see the leon play now when they come to the screen and they're waving at the fans to please calm down they're trying to reason with the two liga Mekis has to Mm. They have to sanction Leon. They have to suspend a closed door match. Alone. A close to be firm here because the world is watching. If you say mm. it's a matter final, here,
0: Hirk, Even for a final, Herc, even
2: for a final. You can't differentiate final, semi final, regular season game. If you want to eradicate this book chant, if you want player, players to be safe on the field, you want fans to throw things on the field, there can't be a difference between regular season and final. It has to be firm.
0: So, León then are through to the final. Who would they meet? The winner between Atlas, Herc, and Pumas. The so-called other semifinal town in Mexico. Uh, Atlas won 1-0 in the first leg away to Pumas. The second leg Sunday in Guadalajara the Estadio Jalisco. Uh, just the one goal in this one, uh, Herc, it didn't come until the 76th minute, as you would expect between these two teams. Pretty evenly played match. You thought it was even? Um... No, Atlas were better. Atlas were better. Yeah, Atlas were, yeah. yeah. were clearly not only this over game the, over this. Yeah, over the yeah. whole 180 minutes. Lilini said as much afterwards. Andres yeah. Lilina the Pumas manager.
2: Well, well done, Lilini, to recognize that. I thought Atlas were the better team. This is a very uncharacteristic uh, mistake by Camila right there. He doesn't usually make those kind of mistakes. He usually holds on to this one. It's a rebound. Dineno Neno is a Johnny on the spot. Puts it in.
0: Yep, that was the uh,
2: the only goal of the match. You want to talk Uh-oh. about a mistake? Uh-oh. How about this from Julio Furch? Oh, Oof. man. That's a goal score right there. Missing a clear goal scoring opportunity. And then
3: uh,
0: polemica. Yeah, what did you think? Uh, shouts of a late penalty here for Pumas? I don't think there was a penalty. And no? More importantly, the
2: referee didn't call a penalty at first. I don't think it was clear and obvious to begin with, so you can't call it back
0: then. So it's uh, 1-1 on aggregate, late scary moment here. Yeah. In stoppage time, and Di Neno sees uh, red. In the end, it finishes 1-1 over two legs. Atlas second in the table, Pumas 11th. So Atlas are through to the final. No league title since 1951. Hark, 70 years. Oh, and look at the, uh, the oh. price paid there from Di Neno, the uh, forward for Pumas. So. Uh, In a year which has given us Cruz Azul breaking the drought, how big a deal is the potential, the potential, for Atlas Herc to win their first title since 1951? I mean, we're talking Cubbies-type curses, right? Mm. We're talking the Sox-type
2: droughts. We're talking, honestly, the Dodgers in their drought. We're talking Cruz Azul. No, three times Cruz Azul. Cruz Azul went, what, 20-something years? Barely 23 years? We're talking about 70 years since their last championship. The last time they were in a final was 1999, Seb. Mm. Atlas, which which for my money, is one of the best fan bases in Liga MX. Long, long struggling fan base. They needed an injection of life, resources, money. They needed somebody serious, a serious backer. Grupo Orlega came in
0: and created that, made them a contender, and here they are. I'm trying to think about the best comparisons in American sports. We talked about it in our production meeting. You mentioned Cubs and Red Sox. Maybe from an American football perspective, like Lions or Browns, uh, teams that had success 40s, 50s, Could but be, haven't yeah. been able to, to have it in the, in the modern era. Um, Atlas, obviously, a very, very important team in, in the history of Mexican soccer. Rafa Marquez, Andres Guardado, players like that. To your point, though, they, they're playing well too, yeah. right? They outshot uh, Cruza- uh, sorry, Pumas in this 18 to 7, 5 to 2. By far the better team. Uh, let me ask you this: We saw both semifinals decided over the tiebreaker. Did that bug you at all? It, terribly, it, it, it's, right? It's ridiculous. Let there yeah. be a winner. Let
2: there be a winner. I, I hate when teams keep advancing on ties, and that's what we've been seeing this whole Liga MX playoffs or Liga. Yeah. By the way, do you know where they're celebrating? Do you know where they are? They're in Guadalajara celebrating. Do you know where it is? No, tell me. Uh, and you live there. For for a couple years, right? Playing for Tecos? I, I lived there for a little bit. Okay, most people would say, it's La Minerva. Or, no, it isn't. It's La Glorieta de los Niños Héroes. That's where they're at. They have their own celebration spot, and it's been a while since they've been
0: there. All right, time for the latest edition of Football versus Soccer, an underdog edition. Herc, uh, who has a better chance of winning their respective final, Atlas against León or New York City FC? against the Portland Timbers.
2: Okay, I get it. Portland at home, they're going to be strong. I get it. León, historically, over the years, has been very good in Liga MX. They've got the star players. They've got the players who have been there, done that. But we do realize that Atlas, I don't care if it's in 70 years, They've given up 11 goals all season, 11 goals, one in the last five games. They're the best defensive team, they're the number two team overall in Liga MX, and they are playing a certain brand that happens to win you championships, a defensive effort. And Julio Furch, Julio Furch is Right now, out of all the Mexican players, all the players in Liga MX, it's the third active goal scorer in what is Liga MX, Liguillas, he He's been there. He's done that. You put all those variants with a good goalkeeper, a solid base, well-coached team in Coca. Uh, I don't see how New York City can be more of a
0: better option to win than Atlas. Mm. All right. All right. I'll take, I'll take you on your word there. I, mm, maybe I won't. Uh, <laughs> New York City FC, all they got to do is beat Portland. That's it. Right? Atlas have to overcome, what, 50, 70 years uh, of history. In New York City FC, seven. So I think New York City FC has a better chance to win the title here. Plus, it's plus. one
2: game for FC. I did forget to mention that. It's New York That's City FC in one
0: game. That's what it is. The home field advantage here uh, should certainly uh, weigh quite heavily in favor of the Timbers. All right, Herc. Uh, so we're talking league Mackies. Up next, what season is it? Award season. Ooh, what'd I get? you wow.
3: Cross. It bounces. There's a goal for the U.S. Megan Rapidos on the board.
0: All right, then. Herk, U.S. Soccer has announced its nominees for its year-end awards. Let's start with the uh, ladies first, because actually on our December 16th show we are going to be announcing live the winner of this award. Your nominees, Lindsey Horan, Megan Rapinoe, Rose Lavelle, Carly Lloyd, and Alyssa Nair. Herc, what do you think of the list? Are you cool with this? The nominees for US Soccer's Female Player of the Year.
2: I didn't see Kristen Press's name there. Mm-hmm. What, what, what's going on with that? And uh, is it me, or are are there only five nominees in The Men Have Six? I know you know a little bit more about Did you figure out why there are only five nominees, Sebastian Salazar?
0: Uh, I do, I do, and it you know, it's actually comes down, the nominations come from the technical staff of the respective teams, so the more nominees you have, the more it's likely that players will divide votes, okay. right? So I think actually the fact that you only have five players could, could serve the women well here, it gives okay. uh, fewer choices, uh, but they won't divide the vote as much. So it, as far as five versus six, there's your explanation. It's
2: still kind of cool to get one more player noticed as totally, having a good year, totally. even though I don't know if you could say it was a good year for the women's national team, you know, Right. for what happened in the Olympics, the way things went down. That said, Kristen Press here. Uh, I mean, I saw something online, this is crazy, like 37 goal involvements in, in her last 40 games, what mm-hmm. she's been able to do with the U.S. women's national team. You see her presence. It's felt when she's on the field. Uh, NWSL, her impact wherever she goes. I was, very, I was very struck. I was very in awe not seeing her as one of the nominees there, because I think easily a lot of people can argue that she may even have a case
0: for winning. So when it comes down to these awards, remember we factor in not just your play at the international level, but club as well. Correct. Her last game for club was in early May. So we're looking at eight months, basically, without any club competition uh, as far as comparing her to the other five players there uh, on this list. So I think that's important to, to note here. The other thing is the success for her comes early this year, and it comes against the likes of, like, Argentina and Mexico. Kristen Press didn't really have a, a great Olympics. Now you could – the counter there is – Nobody Not did. a lot of people did the United States – um, and that's totally fair. She also didn't play the back half of the year. So when you look at what all the other players then did, um, again, no back half of the year, I, I think it's hard to put her in there. So I, I could see why Kristen Press uh, was left out. Let's talk favorites, Herc. Okay. Uh, who do you think should then be the favorite to win this award? Well, let me ask you a question, Sam. Mm-hmm. Okay, because this is your expert. Are,
2: are we going to go with Carly Lloyd? Is Carly Lloyd going to get the farewell treatment here? Oh, So when you
0: say farewell, do you mean like sentimental? Is she gonna get the yes, sentimental send-off? sentimental send-off. Let me tell you something. If if Carly Lloyd wins this award, it ain't sentimental. Like you can make the case for Carly Lloyd to be okay. Player of the Year this year. Make she the leads least. she she leads the the U.S. team in both goals and assists mm-hmm. this year. So I think um, it's very easy to make the case. For Carly Lloyd and if she got it I would have no problem Uh, even if you did factor in kind of career in the end of her career it would be I think very very just in 2021 uh, she also had a good Olympics I thought certainly better than Kristen Press you know for for comparison's sake right there however if I were to have a favorite Herc it wouldn't be Carly Lloyd it would actually be the player who's taking the number 10 off her Uh now in retirement and that Uh, is Lindsay Horan. Lindsay Horan led the team in minutes uh, in a very, very long and very, very important year for the U.S. women's national team. She showed versatility that we hadn't seen before her and very important versatility. We know she can play in that eight role. Now she showed us she could play in the six when Julie Ertz wasn't available for this U.S. team. So I see Lindsay Horan and I see her as an NWSL best 11 second team pick. So there she is. She's done it at club level as well. We also saw just how big of an impact it had when she wasn't there with the Portland Thorns in the postseason due to injury. So to me very very solid case here for Lindsay Horan.
2: Hard to disagree with you, and I love what you say about when the player isn't on the field, the presence being felt, because Mm -hmm. I'm actually going to go into that uh, later
0: on in our player selection, and I think that's a true indicator of how valuable you are to a team. You mentioned also, her, like the sentimental part. That would come down, we would assume, to fans, right? So fans will have 15% of the vote in this, and fans can vote uh, for the next couple weeks at ussoccer.com. Who else votes? National team players, coaches, and and media, whoever lets the media vote, my goodness. Uh, let's take a look then at the nominees for Young Women's Player of the Year. Another award, Hurt that we are going to be announcing live here on Football Américas on our uh, December 16th show. Some pretty big names on that list as well. Katarina Macario, uh, Emily Trinity. Fox, Trinity Rodman. Uh, impressive, impressive list right there. So we look forward to that again. December 16th. Do not miss a very special edition of Football Américas. To the NWSL Hot Stove, Herc, which continues to churn. Meg Linehan, boy, she is so busy over at The Athletic. The San Diego Wave FC are in the process of acquiring Alex Morgan from the Orlando Pride. The report uh, says that the deal won't be finalized until December 17th. Herc, uh, Orlando moving some big pieces. we see seen Ashlyn Harris and Ali Krieger move to Gotham FC. Herc, we are seeing big trades across the NWSL Do you think this is the biggest one to date?
2: I mean, it's hard to argue you'd be hard-pressed to find a bigger name in all of women's sports. And I'm not just talking about soccer. Women's sports and Alex Morgan and what she can offer you, both right now physically, what her body's able to give you physically right now at her age, uh, and also just marketing. When you're trying to start a new club, when you're trying to create a buzz within a city, when you're trying to be relevant, having a player of Alex Morgan's caliber uh, is a welcome benefit. And if you're Alex Morgan, it's also a win-win. If I'm not mistaken, her husband is from that area. She's got Southern uh, California ties. They just have... Had a child when you are a new parent it's very important to bring around family it could definitely uh lessen the load that is um juggling work and, and he says and with dark circles life. under his yes. eyes
0: yes <laughs> so i think it's a win-win um look is it the biggest off-season move? Off-field, 100 percent, yes. Right. There's not a there's not a bigger name off-field marketing uh, in this league than Alex Morgan. On-field, I might argue. Actually, a trade we talked about a couple weeks ago with Julie Foudy and Angel yeah. City FC, seeing Sarah Gordon, a defensive player of the year nominee, and Julie Ertz uh, go to Los Angeles. I think that's going to have a huge on-field impact for Angel City FC. So I think you can argue very clearly that on field, this might not be the biggest move. Off field, uh, very obviously then, the biggest move. Let's keep on with the theme of award season, because U.S. Soccer has also announced the nominees for their Male Player of the Year Award. And we got six here, as you mentioned. Brendan Aronson, Kellen Acosta, Weston McKinney, Christian Pulisic, Miles Robinson, and Matt Turner. Herc, who is your favorite? Weston McKinney. Uh, you were talking about Lindsey
2: and, and and how When a player isn't there, the presence is felt. I I feel that I see that with Weston McKinney. Weston McKinney is a player that, by the way, already multiple trophies with Juventus, and then he ended up snagging the Nations League MVP, uh, multiple goals, multiple dunks on the Mexican national team. But it's when he wasn't on the field, Seb, don't snarl at me. It's when he wasn't on the field that you noticed how important he was. He's so contagious in his play. He's so positive and infectious in the way he goes about his business, and the way he can... Impact a game, important, crucial goals for Greg Berhalter for this U.S. men's national League. But when he's not there, it's evident there's a huge hole in the center of midfield, and you can't help but notice how the team is different, how they struggle when he's not on the field.
0: When I saw this as your favorite, I went back to the, you know, the controversy in Nashville where I he ends up, yeah, and he ends up going out, and and that has to count here somewhere, like in in the case for against Weston McKinney. The truth of it is though. He did redeem himself yeah. for that. I feel like on the field he very much redeemed himself. So if you're going to count it against him, you also then have to count the redemption for him. Uh, Christian Pulisic, I think, is is going to get a lot of attention yeah. here, obviously, uh, for the big moments as well. Not just because he's a big name, but had some huge moments Iconic this moments. year. Yes, right, with the national team, with club team as well, winning the Champions League with Chelsea. I was kind of surprised not to see, you know, you see Brendan Aronson on there. That's a really young player. Not to see Ricardo Pepe if you were going to go with six players included uh, in this list. Maybe over a Kellen Acosta, though Kellen Acosta had his moments uh, as well for sure. But, but that, one, that one surprised me a little bit. Not yeah, Sam Pepe. I,
2: I can see where you're going with Ricardo Pepe. The truth is, Ricardo exploded onto the scene, and then at least statistically, and that's very important for a forward, has kind of leveled off. I see the value he brings in as a nine. I appreciate his game, but statistically, as a forward, it's very important to have those numbers.
0: After those games, the first initial, I guess, outburst of games, it kind of leveled off. So he's not in the conversation for Player of the Year, but Pepe is Herc in the conversation for Young Player. Of the year. Here's the list of nominees from U.S. soccer. Good names there, too, huh? Ricardo Pepe, Eunice Musis, Jesus Ferreira, Gianluca Busio, George Bello. Uh, lots of young talent there for the U.S. men's national team. Now, a lot of that young talent will be in the next group of players called up. we got the Bosnia and Herzegovina friendly December 18th. Greg Berhalter has called in 26 players for this game. Twelve of them, Herc, are un capped as we see the list there. Give us a name from this group to watch. Jonathan
2: Gomez. Jonathan Gomez, the left-back, UCL. Yes, I'm sorry, UCL. USL player, reigning USL Young Player of the Year, if I'm not mistaken. uh, Real Sociedad property, and we saw Xavi Alonso glowing about him, Mm -hmm. raving about him a few, I guess, months ago, talking about his inclusion into the team. Not only does he have a very high ceiling, but the most importantly, he's got the possibility of playing for Mexico. And Mo- Mexico's got a camp going on at the exact same time. And they actually mm-hmm. called up some dual nationals themselves. The fact that Jonathan Gomez isn't part of that list,
0: and he is with the US Men's Nash team, is a very good sign for Greg Berhalter and his team. Yeah, shout out to the USL. Um, Jonathan Gomez coming through yeah. USL, and it's another testament to the league and the development that they're doing there to get a player uh, of his quality called into the national team, and we'll see what he does, whether it's with the U.S. or Mexico. One player that's not on this list, Herc, is Daryl DK. That raised a lot of eyebrows. What would you make of it? So Greg Berhalter says he wants to give
2: Daryl Dike a rest. It's been mm-hmm. a hectic time for him, right? Going abroad, coming back, getting injured during Gold Cup. I understand. But this leads me to believe if he's not part of this camp, He's probably not going to be part of the January qualifiers. And I was very much looking forward to a Daryl Dike opportunity of proving himself in this camp and maybe get an opportunity to play some of those qualifiers. I still think Daryl Dike has a place in this national team setup. But you got to get on the field. you got to get him on the field. And I don't care how tired you think a player is or isn't, how burnt out you think he is or isn't. A player wants to play for their country, wants to play for their national team, wants to go to a World Cup. I don't know if there was a discussion with Daryl Dike, but I was very, very, uh, I don't want to say upset, but uh, sad for him not being part of this call-up because I think it's an opportunity for him to work himself into
0: first-team minutes. Yeah, with the limitation on European players, it's not a FIFA window. You thought, all right, they'll go MLS heavy. Certainly, Daryl Dike would have been uh, in that list. He is not for Greg Berhalter. Interesting news from Roger Gonzalez of CBS, Herc, a report about the aforementioned Ricardo Pepe. Roger reporting that Atletico Madrid are the latest team to claim interest in Ricardo Pepe. Also a report from Chris Smith, who said we've seen multiple bids of over $13 million for Ricardo Pepe to FC Dallas, and yet he still remains property of FC Dallas. What do you think, Herc? Is FC Dallas and MLS, are they asking too much for Ricardo Pepe? They're within their right, even if I do think they're
2: asking for too much. But this is almost going to the same, I guess, Rodolfo Pizarro, the Mexican players, and these directivas, these ownership groups in Mexican soccer, asking too much of their players, and that's why they don't go abroad. We're getting to those limits. I understand how exciting of a prospect he is. I understand they want to test the waters. But if you're getting upwards of $13 right now, it seems like a very good deal. Listen, Ricardo Pepe, the shine is on him now. But he stopped scoring a bit. I believe I might count it was seven games, both club and country, that there were no goals. After a while, if those numbers don't come up, the number is going to start to go down. And we saw it happen with Daryl Dike. They were talking yeah. upwards of $20 million of them. and this is when he was in the championship, started scoring goals. All of a sudden, doesn't score goals, gets injured, and that number has come dramatically down. And so is his confidence. So be very careful what you ask for, what you wish for. Ricardo Pepe is a very good player. If you want to let him go abroad, let him go now. $13 is a great price. Maybe Atletico isn't the ideal situation because I don't know if that's where I want him. Mm. I don't know if I want him learning to defend for 90 minutes and having very limited opportunities in front of
0: goal, but that's another thing. So Ricardo Pepe then with a bright future. Same could be said for George Bella, who is also in the group of players called up under Greg Berhalter for the match against Bosnia and Herzegovina. The young Atlanta United defender reportedly has interest from La Liga. Celta de Vigo, Herc. So uh, maybe he could join Nestor Araujo. We know Orbelin Pineda is going there. Luis Romo has been linked there as well. Uh, Celta de Vigo are going to become CONCACAF's team.
2: And the new Fulham. they got Conca- CONCACAF all over them. And look, this is great because George Bello's got a ton of intangibles. Tactically, he's still lacking
0: and deficient in a few areas. But he's 19 years old. The ceiling is high. George Bello then of Atlanta United. Potentially the next in the long line of American players hoping to make the jump from Major League Soccer across the pond to Europe. All right, let's transition from the U.S. to Mexico, because Mexico has announced their list of players for the December 18th friendly against Chile in Austin at the Q2. Interesting names on this list, Juliana Araujo, Efraín Álvarez, the uh, Galaxy dual Nats. We got the potential swap duo of Sebastián Córdova and Uriel Antuna on this team. Mauro Lainez, the other Linus called in. Marcelo Flores, who we've talked A lot about Uh, from those names, Herc, maybe another. uh, Give us a player to watch here. Uh, The youngster, uh, Alfredo Talavera. No, I'm just joking. What is he doing on there? He's like
2: 40 years old. It's Acevedo. It has to be Acevedo. We talk about the goal scoring or goal. Goalkeeping crop of the Mexican national team. You've got Memo Choa, who's 36. You've got Alfredo Talavero, who's 39. Rodolfo Cota, who's 34. Jonathan Orozco, who's 35. There needs to be young blood, an injection of youth, and Acevedo is that. Acevedo is one of the most exciting prospects in Liga. MX. lots of rumors, and just rumors, rolling around about his, I guess, interest for Bayer Leverkusen, and then remains to be seen if that is true or not. But this player has a very high demand, high ceiling right now. Santos Laguna loves to export their players. He seems to have that type of mentality about them. I'm very excited for what a player like this can bring, especially in that position for this Mexican
0: national team. Yeah, I'm with you. I wonder if I would be as uh, as with you as I am had we not seen the recent rough performances from Memo Choa. but this now seems like a, a position of almost urgent need, uh, not in the short term, but in the kind of medium term slash long term for Mexico. Acevedo, yeah. uh, just 25 years old, so perfect age right now. To get him in uh, and start to b- develop him. All right, time for our parting shot. Major League Soccer has a name for their new third division league. Herc, it's gonna be called MLS Next Pro. It'll begin next year, 21 teams, 20 of which are MLS reserve teams. It is all about expanding the so called pathway to pro across Major League Soccer. Your thoughts?
2: Uh, isn't that a, a wrestling league? Uh, WWE Next? <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> is it? But seri- seriously, though. Uh, Jamie Vardy, an investor with Rochester, they will be in this league. This is now the third D3 league in the United States. I've got no problems with more opportunities, more jobs for soccer players, whether that's you're 15 years old or you're 37 years old, 40 years old. If it's a pathway and you feel you can still make it, more opportunities for you, good on you. I played in third division soccer in the USL level, uh, very unconventional in its time, and I got noticed by the Galaxy. So anything that gives these players a different, I guess, platform or, or a way of making it to reach their dreams, I'm all for it.
0: More opportunities is the key. More jobs for young American soccer players. That's obviously a benefit here, Herc. You do have to ask the questions. How does it impact the USL? They're going to lose eight of those MLS2 teams effectively, so that could impact them. Uh, The one team that you did mention, Jamie Vardy's Rochester Rhinos, they're going to be the one independent team uh, in year one of the 21. All right, that'll do it for this edition of Football Americas. For Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebastian Salazar. I heard going on a well-deserved vacation. I will be back Big Bear, here we on come. Thursday for the last edition of the show before MLS They're not the Rochester
2: come. Reiners anymore. They're not Portland the Rhinos.
0: Timbers, New York City FC. We'll see you on Thursday, right here on ESPN+.